0: And it's not just making those movies, Rebecca. Those movies also have to work with audiences. And I think what we saw is that the word of mouth on Five Nights at Freddy's was great. The word of mouth on Megan was great. People not only liked it, they recommended it. When we look at these misses, Exorcist Believer and Fast X, people weren't really excited about those movies. And it's something that happened, I think, across all the legacy franchises that came out in 23. It happened to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. It happened to many, many Marvel movies. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition. This week, joined by my colleague and deputy editor at Box Office Pro, Rebecca Pauly, and together we are going to go over a studio report card of 2023. Now that we have the final numbers of a $9 billion box office year, we're gonna be able to go through every single studio and analyze, Things that worked, what didn't, as we enter a turbulent 2024 at the box office. But before we start, Rebecca, welcome. I haven't seen you since uh, the holidays, basically. Yeah, it's
1: it's been... uh, Yeah,
0: so happy new year. Thank
1: you. It's been a a few weeks. Well, it's
0: great to have you back here. I know that you were busy going to the movies since we last spoke. You finally caught poor things. Where were you, Alamo, Drafthouse, Brooklyn for that?
1: Brooklyn. Yep. And I'm co-signed with you on this. I know you really loved it, really loved her performance. It was amazing. It really touched something in my soul, like it it felt right. Though Alamo did change up their recipe for pickle fries and I'm not pleased about that, but the movie was excellent.
0: Let's move on to the main feature here because we've got a lot of meat on the table. We are going to go over the studio report card for every single major studio at the box office in 2023. An important exercise, Rebecca, I think, because as we took stock of the 2024 release slate in last week's episode, with Russ Fisher, we realized it was going to be a difficult year. And it's always good to see what worked, what didn't in a given year, what performed the long expectations, what didn't. I don't like to look back too much at this point in January, but it is helpful once we have those final box office numbers. Let's start with the studio that we all selected as box office pros theatrical distributor of the year in 2023. Also the box office champion domestically in 2023, beating out by a very thin margin, beating out Disney for that crown, Universal.
1: First time a studio has made more money domestically than Disney in a year since 2015. So almost 10 years. Wow, Wow. almost (laughs) a
0: decade run. And you know what, if someone was going to get there, In a year where the superhero film was faltering, it was going to be the one major studio that doesn't do superhero movies.
1: Yep. They did not have their eggs in that basket.
0: And what I really like about Universal's uh, 2023 slate is that the movies that I feel worked best for the studio don't have a number next to them. Uh, Of course, you know, Fast X is one of the highest grossing films that Universal had last year. I'm not sure I'd call that the greatest success that Universal had last year or among the successes that it had. But among the hits, these are original IPs or first-time movies each time out for the movies that worked best for them.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Some of the hits they had this year, Super Mario Brothers, of course, second highest grossing film domestically of the year, Oppenheimer, Five Nights at Freddy's, and Megan. Of those four, I would say three of them Mario Freddy's and Megan I mean are probably going to get sequels and spin-offs if those hasn't been confirmed they're going to be so this is, you're, you're seeing Universal building these franchises. I can't imagine there's going to be an Oppenheimer 2, but aside from that, they are taking risks and launching new IP and launching a new take on IP, and sometimes it works and, and sometimes it doesn't. One of the misses this year was Exorcist Believer, which I'll be honest with you, I've kind of had already forgotten uh, about Did you that see movie. this?
0: I didn't see it. Yeah. It didn't open well at the box office at all. It was a weird was a weird decision here this year in Universal in the, in the Halloween corridor, because as we know, Halloween, the entire horror genre for Universal has historically always...
1: I mean, it's what they're built on.
0: And it's always been something that they've been very invested in. It's not something like that they abandoned. So Halloween time is always, I think, very important for the studio and their slate. So it's very interesting for me to see that they had two titles coming into Halloween, a day and date title on for regular Peacock subscribers, their streaming service, Five Night at Freddy's, which is a new IP based on a game that a certain generation knows about, but it isn't the cross-generation IP. And then they had a theatrically exclusive film with Blumhouse that had previously worked with David Gordon Green to release the latter two Halloween sequels for Universal Day and Day on Peacock. Instead of doing that, they put The Exorcist Believer here uh, exclusive to theatrical, if you would have asked me to bet all We're my just money on something- going to have an 85
1: million opening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I
0: would have gotten this dead wrong. But I think it, it speaks to what worked and what didn't here. Very huge success at 500 at Freddy's, finding a theatrical audience despite opening on streaming day and date. An Exorcist Believer, terrible word of mouth. People really didn't pick, a, pick up on it in theaters. It ended up on Peacock like three weeks later, I think.
1: Well like you said Daniel I mean Universal is is a studio that has always invested in horror it makes me think back to I mean how many how many years ago was it at this point Their failed reboot monsterverse with Tom the Cruise and the mummy yes. they had like they had like five movies planned that was going to be No a big I think deal. the
0: monsterverse isn't that the Warner Brothers Godzilla thing I think this one's the dark the, the dark, dark universe, universe. That's how ridiculous this like uh, franchise mining is getting. We, we're getting them mixed up. But yeah, this dark universe had like a movie, and that, that was it? A
1: movie and all the other cast announcements, nothing ever panned out. And we're seeing, I mean, a lot of lessons had to have been learned from that around various conference room tables at uh, various Universal headquarters. We really are seeing them invest in newer stories and fresher stories and in stories that, like Five Nights at Freddy's, are kind of catered to appeal to a younger generation. So, yeah, Megan is another horror film that they put out, not in the, in the Halloween corridor. That January. was uh, January, wasn't it? January. It was January. It had already gone viral because of the dancing and the trailer on the negatives list. I mean, it feels odd to count uh, Fast X, uh, to put that in the negative column, given so much of how we. Assess that movie and that franchise in terms of box office has to do with international take. It's always kind of been more important. It's always that's baked into the franchise, having a very large, diverse cast. But I think it's fair to say at this point that even though Fast X is still making a lot of money internationally. It's in the top 10 international. It's losing steam. I think that's fair to say.
0: Oh, yeah. I think domestically it's been played out, unfortunately. I'm not sure what's going to happen to the next installment in the series. Listen, it's still the third highest grossing film domestically that the studio put out this year, making $146 I mean, that million says a dollars. lot about
1: Universal. Yeah. That's one of its
0: misses. <laughs> yeah, that's one of its misses. But it's still not to where it should be. And that's why I think we bring up that close selection of titles at the beginning of this segment, that Super Mario Brothers is a title that overperformed. Oppenheimer, a title that well overperformed. Five Night at Freddy's, Megan. These are movies that, that really did much better than we expected. The only two that we really expected a little bit more from are The Exorcist Believer and Fast X, IPs that have been around for a while, a number of generations, that we really thought moviegoers would come back to. Also telling in the fact that I think this year as a whole, these multi-generation IPs, these legacies IPs are having a hard time connecting with moviegoers. And the studio that came in with probably the most exciting original slate is the studio that finished at the top of the market. You know,
1: I want to add, Daniel, when we use that term multi-generational, I think we need to take a step back and really look at what we mean when we say that phrase, because I think historically, you know, it's kind of been used to mean millennials and older. Us and older, adults and older, and then the added group of, you know, little kids who are going to see uh, these kids' movies with their parents. But when we talk about multigenerational appeal, we cannot and should not forget about the Zoomer audience, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, people who are in college now, young adults. I think that they are... They drove Five Nights at Freddy's to success. I'm curious to see come April what new properties and what new films are announced that are more geared towards that audience. Because I think you look at the success of something like Five Nights at Freddy's, and that has to be what everybody's looking for. (laughs) The next Five Nights at Freddy's, not necessarily the day and day bit.
0: And it's not just making those movies, Rebecca. Those movies also have to work with audiences. And I think what we saw is that the word of mouth on Five Nights at Freddy's was great. The word of mouth on Megan was great. People not only liked it, they recommended it. When we look at these misses, Exorcist Believer and Fast X, people weren't really excited about those movies. And it's something that happened, I think, across all the legacy franchises that came out in 23. It happened to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. It happened to many, many Marvel movies. Yeah, the number two studio of 2023, Disney, underwhelming, I think, for many reasons. Uh, we expect Disney to have a bigger seat at the table when it comes to the box office, just because of all the properties they own, the legacy that they have in this industry. What we saw this year, Rebecca, is Disney is a high floor, low ceiling studio. The movies are grossing enough to keep exhibition engaged, but they're not grossing as much as they used to. That's why the hits that we have this year, I think we really have to limit to three. Three movies that performed better than we expected,
1: one of them didn't even come out this year.
0: <laughs> exactly. Let's let's talk about that. Let's start with the hits before we go to the misses. Avatar the Way of Water, as you mentioned, Rebecca, came out in December 2022. We weren't sure this would be a movie that would open strongly enough to play into 2023. That's why I list it among these 2023 movies. It made a lot of money in January, kept theaters packed through a slow period in the winter, and were drove weren't the sure conversation
1: about movie going in premium formats. Exactly. I mean, we, it, there it, there were a lot of, of doubts
0: on Avatar The Way of Water coming in. We were all wrong for the umpteenth time concerning James Cameron.
1: They must feel like James Cameron deserves an asterisk. Like, not that Disney doesn't deserve credit for putting all that faith and time and money into him, but you just don't bet against the man.
0: He can make a three-hour film about dogs pooping. I think that thing's going to make money. I, I don't understand it, but I welcome it. You know, James Cameron knows how to connect with audiences. Avatar The Way of Water, I think, exceeded all our expectations. And it's lofty expectations after the last Avatar movie was the highest grossing film of all time in the time that it came out. So great results there from Avatar Way of Water. We really have to commend Disney for reviving that IP and handling that sequels release, long delayed sequels release perfectly. They got an A plus on that. And we really needed that A plus. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 being another title here from Disney that I think overperformed the highest grossing Marvel title of the year, one of the top 10 grocers uh, of the year as well. In a tough year for Marvel, Disney was able to stick the landing for this Guardians trilogy before James Gunn, who's very close to that family, before he leaves for, for DC and Warner Brothers. That worked out for Disney. And finally, we have to say the live action adaptation of The Little Mermaid, a lot of us didn't know how that would play out. Opening weekend, was a little bit shaky, not too people super excited. Honestly, what I saw at CinemaCon, I thought was bad. Uh, I wasn't too excited.
1: It was the poor unfortunate souls footage. Yeah, we weren't too
0: excited about this. What do we know? Little Mermaid completely (laughs) over delivers at the box office. That's an example of how Disney can still overperform and connect with audiences.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's an example of how important it is to have a marketing strategy and have an outreach strategy that is not solely focused on opening weekend. To having a conversations and media surrounding films that don't automatically, you know, assign a movie to the rubbish pile if they make, you know, quote lower than expectation on their opening weekend. I, I think another reason, uh, you know, that this movie succeeded is it was one of the relatively small amount of movies in the summer, with one obvious exception, which we'll get to later, that was oriented towards female audiences. So I I think that's a lot of good lessons uh, in in this one of of having a diverse slate that gets out to a a diverse set of of demographics and of letting a movie find its audience.
0: We have to, in a year full of misses for Disney, we have to isolate three of them. And it is concerning when we see where those three come from. The Marvels. An MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe movie being on top of that misses list, I think the the biggest disappointment at the box office of 2023, that's a concern. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, a movie that, especially after the performance of Top Gun Maverick, we were like, hey, everything's kind of lined up for this movie to recapture that box office magic. Uh, Cross-generational audiences finding something like this, it didn't. It opened in... Can in a special sneak preview, and they had a month worth of terrible headlines and bad press. The movie was just unable to get out of that hole it dug for itself. And then finally, Wish Walt Disney Animation for what the third consecutive Thanksgiving frame with a big, big whiff at the box office. These are big, big concerns, Rebecca. Walt Disney Animation, Lucasfilm, or whatever's left of Lucasfilm, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we're lucky we didn't put the Pixar titles on there. I think if this was any other year, we'd probably throw a Pixar title in the list of misses. But all of these blue chip studios and IPs that Disney owns aren't performing as consistently as they used to be. That's going to be a big question for them. In a 2024 that only has one Marvel title, that has a big Pixar sequel coming out, that on the original animated front, I'm not really sure what there is to be excited about.
1: They have Mufasa the Lion King. I mean, maybe that will be a surprise. Is that live action-ish? That's, I think
0: that's like a Lion King live action animation-ish. That's a weird classification, Yeah, it's like right? Lion King.
1: They called it, they called it, animation when it's really photorealistic CGI. I don't know. Hopefully for the exhibition community, it is more A uh, Little Mermaid than A Wish. I don't know. We have a new alien movie coming out. We have a new Deadpool coming out. We have a sequel to Inside Out. We have a new Planet of the Apes reboot. We have a new a reboot of uh, The Omen. That's a lot of reboots yeah. or
0: sequels, or and we already saw the warning signs of those legacy IPs last year. If you don't deliver a movie that works, you know it, nostalgia alone won't get you across the finish line. I think it's a concern uh, that exhibition has for, for Disney this year. They might have a more turbulent twenty twenty four that they had in 2023. Let's move on here for the number three studio of the year in terms of box office ranking domestically. Warner Brothers, with the biggest box office hit worldwide and domestically, Barbie being really the only driver in the conversation here. Barbie did so well that it made Warner Brothers this year. And we'll go into why when we get into the misses. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Barbie glosses over all of the potholes on the road with a nice pink coat of paint because not everything else worked here for that studio but Barbie did that well that you forget about everything else
1: and I don't think it wasn't a matter of, of chance or a matter of surprise I mean Warner Brothers was planning for this was planning for the marketing campaign with Mattel obviously you know doing a a lot of the marketing lifting and, and, you know, exhibitors were really ahead of the game in setting up events and encouraging moviegoers to come out. At the same time, it felt organic. It was planned yet organic. That's really the sweet spot to hit. And it's the best one that I've seen that has hit that sweet spot in a hot minute.
0: Let's talk about what didn't work for Warner Brothers. No Way Around It, the entire DC Extended Universe. We had to wait. We waited to tape this like ranking report card episode because we didn't know. Yeah, we we had a movie that at one point we're like, hey, this could be a billion dollar worldwide earner. Yeah, no, 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 not at all. The entire DC Extended Universe failed to connect with audiences at the box office here or anywhere else. Just a total disappointment. Let's name them because we have to single them out. Starting the year with Shazam: Fury of the Gods, uh, public meltdown by Star. What's that guy's name? That's how Zachary Levi. Sure, that's I. Yeah, just a total public meltdown during the promotion of the film, followed by talking about public meltdowns, long gestating legal problems for uh, Ezra Miller, star of The Flash. That movie opens and falls in June. Blue Beetle, a movie I was rooting for. You know, there's nothing to root against in Blue Beetle. That's the, probably the one production that had that is like best prepared entering this period. Was done no favors by what happened.
1: You have the Flash that had throughout the course of its production and filming had I don't know like three or four or five different directors, different directorial teams. It was there was clearly like planning issues behind the scenes, looking at the wider scope of the DCEU. I think maybe if. Blue Beetle had been an independent thing; had not been sandwiched between these complete misfires, then we would be talking about it differently. It, it wouldn't be a hit, but it wouldn't be lumped in with this other stuff that just really, really Didn't did not work. work. So maybe, maybe there'll be a discovery for that one on streaming.
0: I hope so, really, because I, th- I think it's unfair for you know when we we're gonna finish this poop sandwich by talking about aquaman and the last kingdom lost kingdom whatever it's called but you start the year of shazam fury of the gods and again a very turbulent press campaign with stars going off the rails stars not even around to promote the flash the flash i don't i don't remember who was able to promote that movie anyway you watch that movie it's probably one of the worst superhero films I've ever seen, just bloated.
1: The only thing I, stuff I saw of it was all the clips that uh, circulated online about how awful the CGI was.
0: Yeah, it's just a movie that just was not able to deliver on expectations. You go from those two to Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle was just in a really, really difficult spot to succeed. You know, it's unfair to put it in, in that position, but it is part of a set here, and the set is finished And the last part of this set is Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom, uh, which just, you know, it was there. I think even, what was it, uh, Star Jason Momoa in, in the lead up to the release was saying like, yeah, you know, go, don't go. Let's see what happens.
1: I mean, it, I feel like, you know, it, Monday morning quarterbacking or whatever, but there's a real barrier with Lock. La- Ome the Lost Kingdom. There's a real barrier to entrance there because you have the, the hardcore DC Universe fans. A lot of that is focused around director Zack Snyder. He's not involved, so you don't have people going to the movies just for him. People who are predisposed to see other DCU movies because they like the comics, they like the characters. I mean, I don't know if they went to see Shazam Fury of the Gods or the Flash, they got burned. Like, they got burned.
0: All 17 people that went to go see Shazam Fury of the Gods got burned. I think everybody else just didn't care. And I think that's what we're getting with the superhero fatigue. There's just so much irrelevant story there that I don't care. The overarching narrative has gotten so unwieldy that it doesn't matter. I mean, even when like characters are killed off they they come back as like super ghosts from some sort of parallel dimension i don't care that's the worst thing you can say about these movies
1: as far as i'm concerned the world of superhero movies belongs to miles morales which uh, brings us to our next studio sony
0: yeah. And we put Sony here in fourth place. Well, because that's where they ranked financially at the domestic box office. But it, it's also a middle of the road year for Sony. We have to say it, only one movie above $100 million domestically in 2023. Yikes, not great for Sony. I'm sure they're the first ones that, that wanted something different out of this year. But like Warner Brothers, that number one movie was a commercial hit, a critical hit, a damn good movie. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Are, are they still calling it part one or are they not doing no, these things?
1: It's beyond.
0: Beyond. Spider-Man's All right, sure. Movie. Wonderfully convoluted titles. That's only going to help you market these things more. Sure. But that movie did, I think, really well with everyone involved. There were big misses here, not in terms of big, expensive movies that didn't work, the way that Disney and uh, Warner Brothers had a big part of their legacy Franchises kind of fizzle at the box office. The misses here from Sony, I think, are a lot more understandable and aren't big, expensive movies. The biggest, most expensive movie out of the bunch is something like 65 with Adam Driver in it. I've forgotten about that movie. Yeah, yet. I think I think yeah. Adam Driver forgot about that movie, but it's it's fine. I mean, it's not, you know, 65 isn't Indiana Jones, it's not Aquaman. Yeah. You you'll be okay. You know, other movies that didn't really hit a release over the holidays of 2022. We really thought Whitney Houston I Want to Dance with Somebody was going to do better than it did. It didn't. We were disappointed by that. And then two movies that I think had more potential in the market but just couldn't connect with an audience. They weren't easy sells, to be completely honest. That's why I think we're understanding that Sony had the year it had. Big George Foreman, I think, had a faith-based angle that it just couldn't latch onto with that audience segment. And then uh, at the beginning of the CinemaCon presentation this year, Sony opens it with an extended clip from Dumb Money that was so well-received that I was so excited about. I thought the movie was pretty good. But ultimately... Ultimately, audiences just didn't show. Dumb Money, I think, could have done better. It was released in an awkward time period, but it's fine. You know, it's not a movie that cost a ridiculous amount of money to make. I don't think it was a massive write off for Sony. None of Sony's misses this year, I think, were significant write offs. I think it was just a very tread the water year with one big hit.
1: Sony kind of laid low this year. Yeah. Yeah, And and I I know you discussed this in, in, in more depth. In last week's episode, it kind of seems like that's going to be a similar situation next year. They have, you know, Madam Web, Craven the Hunter... Also, kind of low, mid-budget superhero Yeah, but that's movies. that's
0: the difference because they also have Venom, a third entry in the Venom franchise. So they've got three Spider-Man without Spider-Man movies in 2024. Those are a little bit more expensive to make, right? They have a little bit more writing on them. They've got that Ghostbusters Return to the Froze, Frozen Kingdom is gonna thing. Work. Yeah, so the movies that Sony has in 2024, I think, have a little bit more writing on them. If you look at the schedule this year. Movies like Craven the Hunter and that Ghostbusters sequel were supposed to come out this year. They were moved. So you can kind of understand they were playing it safe. But next year, I think we're expecting a little bit more from them just because of that. It's They have movies that should really make a bigger impact at the box office. And if they don't, that write-off will be significantly larger than this year's. Now let's go over to the number five spot here in our studio ranking of the top performing distributors in 2023 at the domestic box office. We've got Paramount in a year where they had a good number of titles that performed well. It's just not that many out to begin with.
1: Yeah, it's kind of of a, a meh year for them. I mean, after the amazing success of Top Gun Maverick this year, you have Transformers Rise of the Beasts, which... Came out and made a lot of money, and I think that's you know good job for them. But I kind of disappeared. Yeah, I mean it's not
0: not Michael Bay numbers a lot of no, money, but, but like enough money to I think revive a franchise that used to be a blue chip franchise in the global box office had lost its way, and it's recovering from what the market is telling us. Which
1: is good, because we do have uh, an animated Transformers movie coming out next year. Not so lucky in that regard is Scream 6 came out in January. Uh, Paramount has established a good record of releasing horror films in January. That said, with both of the stars and I think now the director out, not so much of a good opportunity for Scream 7 looking forward.
0: Yeah, really hard to build. Like you said, the Transformers Rise of the Beast's success uh, and a moderate success at that, but nevertheless, I think an improvement over the most recent iterations of of that franchise is something for Paramount to build on, uh, considering they've got that Transformers 1 animated release this year. Scream 6 hits a new height. I mean, builds from all of that goodwill, from that good comeback from Scream 5. But you're right, Rebecca, with the directing team out of, of the next sequel and then both stars out of the next sequel. I'm not sure where the production is right now. I, I know the plans to, to get back to shooting had to be on pause, not only because of the strike, but because of the fallout of, of both stars falling out of that project. That's going to be tricky for Paramount to build on moving forward, I think. Not the case, I think, for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem animated film. That's another example of a legacy IP that was revived and had, again, not overwhelming success, but strong enough success at the box office for you to see that they can build from here moving forward.
1: And more ambiguous uh, here from Paramount, Mission Impossible Dead reckoning, Part One. Honestly, like it feels odd to you know put a five hundred million worldwide earner on the misses list, but do we put it on the hits list? I mean, where where do we? I I think it's it's in this manipulous in between area where the timing just wasn't right. Barbie just just swooped on in there.
0: Yeah, and you had something like Sound of Freedom come in and literally eat Tom Cruise's lunch on the <laughs> July 4th weekend, and Indiana Jones as well. It's so difficult to say. I don't consider the performance of something like Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Park 1 to be a disappointment, because if we look at the track record of the other Mission Impossible movies, with the exception of Fallout, it performed, I think, on par. Maybe there's a little bit of audience that the other sequels did get, this one didn't. You can maybe lean towards a miss here if you consider where the Tom Cruise brand was at the end of 22 with Top Gun Maverick. Which is an unfair
1: comparison, to... I think. I mean, it, yeah, it, it, is, is, it, is, it is, is in is. this in-between zone. And I just think it's it, important to kind of give a little bit of time to it, considering this franchise is one of Paramount's bedrock franchises.
0: Yeah, I don't think Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, overperformed by any means. It didn't underperform either, so. But, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure it underperformed to be perfectly honest. That's why I wouldn't call it a hit. I wouldn't call it a miss. But but the next Speaking one on list Speaking of underperformance, oi. How do we talk about this? Because it's unfair. I mean, all right. We've got Damien Chazelle's Babylon comes out in, around Christmas. Yeah. I don't know how to start here. It's a movie I mean, that, the movie started paper, with a close-up
1: shot of an elephant- defecating.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the whole movie had promise on paper. The movie itself wanted to take a different direction, which is fine. Uh, I think it was an, an ambitious move by Damien Chazelle in tonally, most of all, in having Babylon go where it went. I don't think there was anything of substance there with the film itself. And there was certainly nothing of substance when it came to the film's box office. It wasn't a crowd-pleasing film.
1: I'm just really looking forward to the reading whoever writes the book a few years down the line that untangles and presents the whole behind-the-scenes process. Because I like that Paramount trusted this director to do uh, something original, and it definitely is original, something big, something yeah. weird. You know,
0: We celebrate that. That's awesome.
1: But yeah, it'll be interesting to read the behind the scenes on that for sure.
0: Yeah. Th- that's, I think, the classic case of the film is something different than what the industry wants it to be. And that's not the film's fault. Babylon, the film itself, I don't think, maybe even necessarily a script stage, was never the star-studded follow up to La La Land that maybe Exhibition wanted it to be. And that's fine. The film, I think, has its own identity. Once we saw what that movie was, I think it became very clear that this was not a movie that was going to make an impact in the marketplace, which is fine. It doesn't want to be. We had different expectations for it.
1: And on the subject of Paramount and and, and the kind of the difference between expectations of reality, I wanted to ask for your take on a movie that Paramount released theatrically in the United States, but was actually uh, produced by Apple. Killers of the Flower Moon, the narrative I think for this one is, is it barely made a splash in the bucket money-wise compared to what its budget was, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because this is a prestige move for Apple. But where does that leave Paramount?
0: I mean, I don't, I don't think it's much of an impact at all, whether positive or negative. Honestly, I think Killers of the Flower Moon, as is also the case with Napoleon, is found money for exhibition because these are movies that maybe through their ties to Apple would not have found a wide theatrical release otherwise. So it's found money, honestly. Uh, They're not movies built to be $100 million earners. I think Killers of the Flower Moon ends up making 67. Maybe that's an issue for financiers of the film, sure. But in terms of Is this a negative for the box office? No, 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 it's not. It's a negative for Paramount. I think Paramount that has had a track record of working with Scorsese in the past, including difficult to sell films like Silence not too long ago. Yeah, I don't think it's a negative here at all. It's not a hit. I, I wouldn't say Killers to the Flower Moon overperformed at any level, but a little bit like Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, right? It's out there. Maybe you want to make a little bit more, but it doesn't really have to. All in all, if we look at this performance in, in 23 from Paramount, you've got four movies that cross the $100 million mark. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, Transformers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Scream 6, and then Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, just shy of that with $93 million. It was a lean year, not too many releases from the studio. It's gonna be another lean year in 2024 in terms of releases for Paramount as well. Yeah, I look at these results and maybe then they didn't you know, punch above their weight like they did last in 2022, but I don't think this is an underwhelming result from Paramount in any way. Yeah.
1: Moving on to the last studio on our list, it feels a little a little mean to put Lionsgate on here because they don't have uh, the same resources as, as the major studios. They don't put out the same number of films. Actually, if you look at their two hits of the year, those being John Wick Chapter Four and The Hunger Games: The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, both of those got over a hundred million domestically so
0: over over 150 million yes. each, uh, john Wake with 187 and uh, Hunger 100 games with 159 so
1: that's better than than sony i mean that's so we're, yeah, we're not trashing absolutely. on Lionsgate by by, no, by no, no on them last but they're
0: they're punching above their weight the way they have been for years we've been talking about this i think in last year's uh preview episode you know what happens to lionsgate are they still a multiplex mid-major. And we saw this year that they are. John Wick, the highest grossing entry in that franchise. Hunger Games that, I don't know about you, Rebecca, I thought this wasn't going to work, honestly, going into release in mid-November. I was wrong. I was dead wrong about this.
1: Another one that grew that shows that Lionsgate, I think, knows how to handle franchises and knows how to grow franchises. They've had the John Wick spinoff, Ballerina, kind of in the works forever. It's been pushed back a few times, which, I mean, to me, I would rather Lionsgate, you know, maybe take a little bit more time to work something out and get it ready than just trying to push a spin-off and push a sequel out just to have it there in the multiplex.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think when you see the momentum that John Wick Chapter 4 gave that series and it's giving Lionsgate do you want to make a Chapter 5 from the John Wick uh, situation? How do you build on that crossover factor with Ballerina? Maybe it's a good thing if they're taking their time to see how to best utilize that as as leverage. On the other end, Rebecca, there were titles here from Lionsgate that just Hmm. didn't work out. They don't always hit the
1: the sequel game right.
0: Yeah, but at a certain point... uh, I don't feel like they were movies with a lot of writing on them. The exception here is The Expendables 4, the fourth part of this over-the-hill action hero franchise that uh, Sylvester Stallone brought to screens. This fourth entry made sixteen million dollars at the domestic box office. That's terrible, That's frankly.
1: Sixteen, not sixty. Let's just to yeah, reiterate.
0: sixteen. Yeah, I have a cold, so I don't want that to be misunderstood. Sixteen million dollars. That fourth entry, terrible numbers. I think that again is a situation where I'm not sure too many fans were asking for a sequel we got one anyway, and it just couldn't connect. There are other properties here that I think could have done a little bit better, but then we're still hard sells. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. We discussed this in, in a prior episode of the podcast. Is a disappointment only in the sense that the movie's good, and it probably could have been seen by more people. I'm not sure $20 million is something that anyone's happy with on that regard. That, that's going to be about
1: good, find a good downstream audience on streaming. Yeah. And we can all say that we, we should have championed it more when, you know, oh, I was there when.
0: Yeah. And I think that it really lacked that push, right? That word of mouth push that I think the movie called for. You know, April 28th release right before summer, a movie like that. I don't know. Is there a good time to release Are you There, God, It's Me, Margaret? I'm not sure. It was disappointing, not in the sense that there wasn't a need for the movie. It's just that the movie is better, much better than that box office result indicates. And that does it for our uh, studio ranking of the majors here, um, the top six players in theatrical distribution in 2023. Thank you again for listening. If you want to hear more about the movies that are coming out in the future, download last week's episode where Russ and I go over an extensive 2024 preview at the box office and we will be back here next week discussing more current topics and events in the world of the movie theater business on behalf of Rebecca Polly and myself. Thank you again for listening. The Box Office podcast is produced by The Box Office Company in collaboration with Box Office Pro and Record Edit Podcast. If you like what we do, please make sure to subscribe, share, make sure people keep on listening, make sure people keep on downloading and that'll help us keep on bringing new episodes to you. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening.